0: I said, this message that, I, that that God put on my heart, I forgot my Bible down here, is a multi weaker. I, I was like, people are going to be walking away with tons of information and thoughts and my observations and and, and heart on this. Uh, so here's what, what I would say is, if there's something that God has given you to walk away with, walk away with that thing that you hear from God today, um, praying that you you hear just his from His voice and, and what He would have to say, um, we are going to be telling going through the story that uh, many of us could probably retell without too much difficulty pretty accurately. The story of David and Goliath. And uh, uh, I entitled my message today, Make War. Uh, So, to be honest, I'm going to really let the story do a lot of the preaching today. Because who can tell the Bible better than the Bible itself? (laughs) And so we're going to be going through this story, and I'm going to be giving you some insights and observations I had as I studied and as I went through preparing this week. Um, I I told Hosanna, as I was just going through the week, things would pop in my head. Literally, I'd be just like going about my day, and suddenly this thought would come to my head as I was ruminating on this section of Scripture. And so, um, first of all, as many of you have heard, in the last couple days, a lot has been happening in the uh, Middle East, especially in the area of Israel, right? Israel has gone to war. Uh, Thank you for your concern for my parents, by the way. My parents are currently in Egypt right now. Uh, They are being very careful about... Because their next step was tomorrow to go to to Israel. And so um, they're being very careful about their travels. Uh, uh, But thank you for your your concerns. I'm I'm keeping in touch with them. And they are being very, very careful on their trip. But uh, just so you know, uh, what's going on right now? uh, There's a terrorist group in Palestine on the West Bank. Called Hamas that has been launching rockets and attacking Israel. They invaded Israel. Have killed several hundred people. It's it's a crazy thing that's gone on. But um, I'm going to just let you know that this struggle that that's going on with uh, with, with what's going on with Palestine is not anything new. Um, Israel's struggle with the Palestinians is actually a millennia long conflict. Uh, if. I, I, and I, I, I use this in the very uh, current terminology when we talk about the Philistines. we are actually talking about uh, the Palestinians. Uh, if you were to look at the actual etymology and history of these people groups, uh, the Hamas terrorists in Palestine on the West Bank are connected um, to to what 's the Philistine people. Uh, Palestinians are those who are culturally and linguistically arab are traced back for centuries um, they 've traced This people group back uh, seven centuries before Christ, the Semitic languages had these four city-states that were along the coast that they referred to as Philistia. And uh, this area here, which in the ancient Hebrew is translated as the Philistines, uh, was, was this people group. And it wasn't until 1898, which is just over 100 years ago, that the term Palestinian was coined. And so that's a fairly new phrase. And so um, what's happening now is actually nothing new. It wasn't anything new 200 years ago. It wasn't anything new 2,000 years ago. This has been a struggle that's been going on for thousands, literally thousands of years. And, uh, and so uh, just as Israel, Israel's army has been equipping and marching out, if you've been watching social media and the news, you see their army marching out to war in 2023. 3,000 years ago, Israel marched out to battle the Philistines. 3,000 years ago, they were marching out just like they are right now. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 1. It says this, The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Succah and Judah and Azekah at Ephes-Demim. Saul countered by gathering his, his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. So we're talking about a massive man. There's some uh, ways people translate it that say, you know, we, we take their measurement system and translate it to our... our uh, anglicanized measurements of over nine feet tall. Some say that it actually translates to even taller than that. He was an enormous man. Uh, his his armor, just the the breastplate alone on his his armor weighed over 125 pounds. I used this illustration when I told the story to our students. I had our biggest student come up that, that we had and I said, okay, now I'm looking for a student that weighs about 125 pounds. And they came up and I had them like kind of hang on them like this. And then, and then I took uh, uh, three big, sacks of flour, five pound bags of flour and stacked them on top of each other and had him hold it out like this, you know, and so he's got this, this human on him as well as, you know, and I'm trying to demonstrate the weight of this stuff this guy was carrying around as well as being able to fight with it is pretty incredible. Uh, they estimate if he's this size and if he's actually trained for battle and utilizing all this armor, he could weigh in excess of six or seven hundred pounds. He's an enormous human being. He's supernatural almost in size. And so Goliath, it says, continuing on in verse 8, he stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. "Why Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves." I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. So when it says that he says, "I defy the armies of Israel and, and their God. Defy is actually translated, it actually means in what he was saying was, "I heap dishonor on you. And in an, honor, in an honor-based society, that was a massive insult. It wasn't just like, yeah, like that kind of thing. It was like, I, I say the deepest insult to the very personhood of who you are and your God in, in my, in my uh, taunts. And so moving ahead on t- down to verse 17, it says this. So one day, Jesse said to David, remember last week, Jesse is the father of the sons. David was anointed as king. And Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report of how they are doing. So David gathers all the Panera delivery and... and (laughs) And, and David's brothers were with Saul in the Israelite army at the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. And he arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. They're getting each other worked up, you know, they're doing the football thing, like, let's go, hitting each other on the shoulder pads, "Ah, I'm a crazy person, you know, getting each other ready to go, riled up, and soon, it says, the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath the Philistine, champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen this giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family <clears throat> will be exempt from paying taxes. I just Here's an observation I had here. The government is more willing to marry off the king's daughter than giving tax relief. They give the, the king's daughter away first before they're like, oh, and we'll, we'll give you tax relief. That's the government for you, okay? So the king is, is like, you can marry my daughter, and fine, you can have tax, uh, no taxes. And so David hears this, and and, the, and the, it says, David asks the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. He walked over to some others and asked the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. So in total, David asked for confirmation and then heard three different times what the reward would be. They mentioned it, he asked it, and they confirmed it, and he asked and then he confirmed. He heard three different times what this reward would be. His questions weren't, how tall did you say Goliath was? How how much did you say his armor weighed? Whoa, that's terrifying. What he said really means uh, things about us, we should probably run. He didn't ask any of those questions. His question was, what did you say my winnings are going to be? What did you say the prize is? David was more focused on the prize than the problem. He was more focused on the winnings and what had in the victory than the issue that was in front of them. And so he kept asking confirmation. No, 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 I know that. He's a big guy. What did you say we're going to get out of this? He he had his eyes on the prize more than the problem. He didn't even listen to the harsh, harsh criticism his own brothers gave. Did you hear that? His older brother criticizes him, and he very next thing asks the same question again. But what did you say the prize was? He wants to know exactly what, what, what this opportunity was. He, um, let me tell you, when you step out in faith and you step out beyond the lines, there are going to be naysayers. There are going to be people that are just ready to tear you down. There's going to be people, first of all, that question your motives. What's the thing his brother said? They said, you just want to see the battle. There's, the only reason you're here is you want to see the battle. And they're questioning his motives. You don't have actually a good reason you're here. There's going to be people that question your heart. They said, we know about your pride and deceit. When you take a step out for God, it doesn't matter how true your heart is for serving the Lord. There's going to be people that say, really, are you doing this for the right reasons? They question your heart. They question uh, your your pride and deceit. And then then second or thirdly, there's going to be people who question your qualifications. They said, what about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? They didn't even say that there was a reasonable amount of sheep. They're like, you're you're a shepherd and even of the shepherds, you're only watching a couple sheep. Pathetic little sheep. They minimize what you've done in the past. Are you capable of doing what God's actually called you to? Do you really have the capacity for that? You've never done anything like this before. How old are you now and you think this is what your calling is? Let me tell you, there's going to be people that challenge your motives, your heart, and your qualifications when you step out for God. Um, This is almost an immutable law of stepping across the battle lines. And saying, I'm not going to do just the status quo. Everybody else is running away. That's the easy thing to do. When you step forward instead of back, there's going to be people that want to tear you down. Why aren't you doing what the rest of us are doing? What's your issue? It's like a bucket of crabs. Did you know a bucket of crabs doesn't need a lid? Because as soon as one crab starts climbing out, the other crabs grab it and pull it right back in. There's just something about, what are you doing? Stay with us. You, you, you're getting away. I don't think crabs are that smart. But that's what's going on in that bucket of crabs. And let me tell you, when, when, when people see someone stepping out in faith, trusting God, there's a tendency for people to just start to tear down what they see God's blessing on. And so David steps out because the most important voice he listened to was not the voice of his brothers, the voices of uh, Goliath. It was the voice of truth. He knew what God had said. And so David's, uh, hears this word and, and, and from God. And, and he, uh, he's asking these questions about what the prize is going to be and all these things. And un- undoubtedly his confidence and assuredness and questions reached Saul. Like there's a guy that seems really confident of what's going on. And so his, his words reached Saul. And here's what, uh, what, what happens. It continues on in verse 32. Don't worry about this Philistine. David told Saul, I'll go fight him. Got it taken care of. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You are only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. That's a great start, okay? This guy's a man of war. Well, I've been taking care of goats, so I'm pretty qualified. But here's what he says. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So here's something we need to understand. David was not some greenhorn who just kind of stumbled into a war zone and was like, what's going on? Hey, I'll, I'll do it, you know, I, 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 he, he was, he, he was not just taking on this battle-hardened man, like, blindly. Uh, I would challenge anyone in here who says David was not actually a warrior himself, I will give you a T-ball bat and you can go fight a bear, okay? You, you can go fight, a, an African lion and see how that goes. David took these huge creatures on, and I love that it says that even, not only that, he was catching him by the jaw. And, and, and taking them on. So, so this wasn't like he's just like taking a, a, a cheap shot at one or something like that. Or, but he is fighting these hand-to-hand combats. So David walked in confidence. Not because he had the, his, uh, just because he had a, a record down of how God had rescued him before. But he knew the actual record as it was. He didn't just know there was a track record. He knew the track record. He didn't just say, you know, God's done some good things in the past. He said, let me tell you, there was this one time. Let me tell you, there was this other time. He knew the actual moments. There, so so he, he was able to come in with an actual lineup of, here's why I can trust God. Not vague moments, not vague experiences, but moments in time where he saw God come through for him. And so there must have been this back and forth between him and Saul where he's trying to convince Saul. And finally, the text says, Saul finally consents. He says, all right, go ahead. And may the Lord be with you. Because literally no one else is going, right? Right? I guess he's kind of at the end of his his rope here. So then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. And David put it on. He strapped the sword over it and took a step or two to see what it was like. For he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. That was probably the finest armor in the land. It's the king's armor. But I don't know who needs to hear this this morning but you need to stop trying to operate under somebody else's anointing. Good words. Good words. Their giftings, their operations are not yours. Right. So often we try to superimpose them and their blessing and their calling upon ourselves. When they don't fit then, we feel like failures, don't we? We're like, I, I'm, I'm, apparently I'm not what God wants me to be, and we're trying to be something else that God has not called us to be. Albert Einstein said, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it's stupid. And sometimes we say, "You know what? I see that person doing that. If I'm not doing that, I'm a failure. God can't use me. And I, David could have put on that armor, God, what am I doing? how could I possibly take on a giant? I can't even use this armor. But he knew how God had created him. He knew the gifts that God had put in his hands. He took off the the anointing that Saul had and his, his own uh, touch from God. And he said, that is not my fit. I'm going to be used as God has created me and has empowered me. Let me tell you, I will never have the pipes that Summer has singing on that keyboard and playing and playing singing. You may never be uh, the artist that Tony is. Uh, you may never be uh, have the uh, capacity for accounting like some of our accountants or... or uh, the charismatic personality like Nate and be able to be in front of huge crowds. Let me tell you, for some of us, we've been trying to squeeze into somebody else's armor though. And, and, and each person in this room has been uniquely and specifically equipped by God. So you can't fight like somebody else. You've been profoundly unhappy though is the problem and unfulfilled because we don't measure up to somebody else's anointing and what we feel it should be for us. Craig Urshel says the best way to destroy something beautiful is to compare it to something else. Sometimes God gives us something beautiful and we compare it and it doesn't compare to what somebody else has and it gets marred and and destroyed. David knew what his strengths were, though. He knew what they were. He'd spent his whole life developing them, investing them in them, knowing who he was. And maybe you've been spending so much time, though, Trying to be somebody else that you haven't even discovered your own gifts. You've been trying to fit in that form and that mold of someone else that you don't even know what your real giftings are. Let me tell you, the best way to find your giftings is to spend time with the gift giver. Spend time in the presence of the one who gives good gifts. The one who created you and knows you. So it goes on in verse 40. It says that David discarded the armor and he went out and he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and he put them into a shepherd's bag and then armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling he started across the valley to fight the philistine now sling when when i hear sling i think of like slingshot i think of a child's toy a kid in overalls with like one strap off and the the rubber band thing in the back and i'm bringing you know shooting that That's what I think of sling. Um, I'm sure you know what what we're talking about. Uh, A sling is is these two long leather cords, and it's got a pouch, and they put a stone in it. My dad had, for many years, a stone from Israel that was the size that they say uh, someone would use in that time. And it is about the size of a billiard ball. And this thing was a weapon. It wasn't just a a toy that children played with. It was a weapon. It was actually used up into the early 1900s, even, still as a weapon. Um, If you read through the Bible, you can see several times where slings are actual weapons. Judges 20, 16, it says, Among Benjamin's elite troops, 700 were left-handed, and each of them could sling a rock and hit a target within a hair's breadth without missing. And they were left-handed, too. A bunch of southpaws. Among some of the future warriors that would join David, this is later on in the story. First Chronicles twelve two it says all of them were expert archers and they could shoot arrows or sling stones with their left hand as well as their right. These guys were ambidextrous and they were all relatives of Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. Second Kings three twenty five. It's later when Israel was at war with Moab they surrounded the city and attacked it. You'd think there's like siege crafts that they're going to use. Do you know what they use? Slings it says this finally only Haraceth uh, and its stone walls were left, but the men with slings surrounded and attacked it. so these are our mighty weapons. these are weapons not of just children, these are weapons of warriors. as a matter of fact, six hundred years after David, um, the Greeks were still using these lead bullets that um, that uh, that they used in warfare. Um, these are actual ones that were found in an excavation, and you can see there's Greek relief on it. That word right there is dektai, which means, take that. <laughs> it also is translated as catch, um, which... Uh, so so they, they found these in, in excavation sites, as well as uh, National Geographic. I found an article from 2017. They were excavating a Roman battlefield in Scotland, and they found uh, slings and, and the, the ammunition for them from the Romans. And they did experiments with them, testing them. And they said that they had the stopping power of a 44 Magnum cartridge getting hit with one of those. You're going to remember it. Um, I, as a matter of fact, on your Sunday links in the Bible app, I put a link to that article. Don't read it now, but you can go home and read it and watch the video they have about it. It's fascinating. So this, all this to say that, that, God is not going to send you against the enemy ill-equipped. Sometimes we think that that David just kind of stumbled out there. He's like, well, I guess I got this. He takes his shoelace off and kind of twirls it around. God sent David into this situation equipped for battle. He was not stumbling into it. He was not a child that didn't know what was going on. God sent him in equipped. Let me tell you, God sets you up for victory. He's not going to push you out in front of the devil and go, man, I better do something or you're toast. You know, he's going to prepare us for battle. And David stepped out. And, and, and it says Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him sneering in contempt at this ruddy faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David. That you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine. You come to me with sword and spear and javelin but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies the God of the armies of Israel to whom you have defied. Today... The Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head and then I will give your dead body and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath and he used it to kill him and cut off his head. He used the enemy's own weapon against him and destroyed him. Why did David pick up five stones? Have you ever considered that? I've wondered that. Why did he pick up five stones? Did did he think, maybe I'll miss four times, you know? Uh, I've once heard someone say, with a target that big, he thought, how could I miss? You know, like, this is a, did he not trust God? Did he think, you know, God, maybe you're not going to do this. maybe, Maybe there's not enough. There's many scholars that speculate that David chose five stones because Goliath was not the only one of his kind. In 2 Samuel 21, verses 15 through 22, it speaks of four other giants from Gath that seemingly are related to Goliath, possibly his own brothers. At the end of David's life, they attacked David, probably to to avenge their brother. Um, So it could be that David was preparing himself to dispatch all five giants. Um, It could be that David didn't know that one stone would be enough to kill Goliath. Uh, God had never promised David that one stone would do the trick. We don't have that evidence in in our text, so maybe David thought, you know what, maybe one shot won't do it, I'll finish him off with a second or third. But no matter which theory you might come to, we do know that David put his full trust in God, and that the work is not always complete with one victory. Sometimes we have a victory, maybe it's a healing, maybe it's something in our life, a financial answer to prayer, but the victory's not complete yet. David was ready to see it through no matter how many shots it took. It might be rock number one. It might be rock number two. It might be rock number three. It might be rock number four. It might be rock number five. But he was prepared to battle all the way through to victory. Yes. So you might be in a battle. Let me tell you, one victory, praise the Lord. But there may be more to come. So we need to step forward. If, if, if one stone doesn't do it, we are going to keep slinging. He was committed through the victory. He made provisions for the future and was ready in advance for whatever may come, whether it took one or five. He knew his power was not in his sling, but it was in the Lord of hosts. And so when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, it says, they turned and ran. And the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath, which is the home of where Goliath is from, and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn along the road from Sherim as far as Gath and Ekron. So David's victory encouraged the people around him. If you look at the word encourage, you you break that up into what like its root is and thing. First of all, courage is the root there. Encourage means to put courage into. And some of us need encouragement. Some of us, when we see someone near us having a victory, it puts courage into us, doesn't it? Some of us need to be encouragers to those around us. Maybe you're experiencing a victory and you need to say, come on, let's go. And so his victory encouraged and edified the people around him. Those who were cowering the day before suddenly came alive. They were emboldened. They're like, we can do this. And they attacked and and, and they had victory that day. So so as we look at this whole text, here's what I want to, if I could boil it down to something. Like Brent, you just talked about a lot of things. How do we walk out of this room different now than how we walked into it? When we leave today, what does this actually mean? And I've I've got about four points that I want you to walk away with. First of all is this. It's time to get offensive. Not time to get offensive. Some of us are really good at that. It's time to get offensive. I hear a lot of times in Christian circles where we talk about fending off the enemy's attacks. A lot of darts come in my way. I need my shield. And just we need to gather around and kind of get in our holy huddle and hold off the enemy. But let me tell you, I'm pretty sure the last time I checked, the armor of God included a sword. And that's an offensive weapon. And Christians, let me tell you, I think it's time to make war. I think it's time to actually take back some of the things the enemy has stolen. To go, They went all the way to Gath. That was in Philistia. That was in the enemy territory. It's time to take back joy. It's time to take back courage where fear has held sway. It's time to take back hope where you have felt hopeless. It's time to take back purpose. If you're living your life and it feels empty and without meaning, it's time to take back confidence. If you have been broken down, it's time to take back what the enemy has stolen. It's time to make war. We're not just here to hold on to the bitter end, but we are made to be victorious. second thing is this. We need to run to the battle. It says that David ran towards that giant. He didn't huddle back. He didn't wait to see how close he was going to get or stay within a reasonable distance. He ran towards the enemy. Let me tell you, until Goliath falls, there's not going to be any victory and you cannot have peace. Day after day after day, Goliath came out and taunted. Day after day after day. The same thing over and over. And for some of us, maybe we've been kicking the ball down the road, not facing the giant because we're just hoping that it'll go away. I'm not going to face this issue. I'm not going to face whatever's coming on uh, because I'm just hoping that it gets better. Maybe we're hoping that Goliath gets bored or somebody else takes him out for us. But we need to run to the battle. It's like, it's like praying that that check engine light on your car just magically turns off one day. Let me tell you, it's not going anywhere. It needs to be dealt with. It's time to run towards the battle. Engage. It's time to engage the enemy. Third is this. We need to name our enemy this morning. That giant had a name. He wasn't just huge hulking guy. Wasn't just, a, there was a big guy that we were fighting. He, he was specifically known by name. His statistics were known. He, how tall he was, the weight of his armor, all these things. Uh, there was a, uh, an author named Sun Tzu many, many hundreds of years ago who wrote a book called The Art of War. And in it, he has a quote that's very well known. It's, know your enemy. Name your enemy this morning. Don't just say I'm fighting an enemy. It's just there's just a lot of negative things the enemy is attacking me. That's that's true, but what is that enemy we are fighting? Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's personal identity. Name the enemy today. Who is your Goliath that you are facing? Who is that enemy that you are facing today? You see, I I think a lot of time, believers, we windmill our arms at a thousand ghosts. We're just like, ah, but what are we actually taking on? We need to identify that thing that needs to be overcome. And lastly is this, we need to contend for victory beyond the hype. The whole army was doing cheers before they ran in terror. They probably had the best two, four, six, eight kind of things going on. They were just ready to go. The army was pumped, and as soon as the enemy reared his face, what did they do? They turned and ran. It's more than just getting hyped up in church. It's more than just getting hyped up in a really good Bible study or worship worship session. It's going into battle with a plan. You can go ahead and turn off the electric guitar. I think it's cutting in and out. So is there someone you need to forgive today? What's your plan? How is that going to come about? Is there a health challenge you're facing? What's your plan? Because let me tell you, while God did a a miracle through that, David said that it's going to be God that wins this victory, it was through the arm and the sling of David, right? He didn't just stand there and, and look at the rocks and be like, rocks are going to throw themselves at Goliath right now. God works through us. And so maybe for you, you've got a health challenge you're facing, but God's saying, what's your responsibility in this healing? Maybe if you're dealing with a, 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 a diabetes, it's a weight thing. That there's a responsibility you're taking and taking on this giant. Maybe if you're if you're battling cancer, it's getting the treatment you need. It, it, whatever it might be. Maybe if you're feeling dealing with a financial miracle, you need what's your role in being a steward of your resources? Sometimes we put all of the weight on ourselves, but other times we put none of the weight on ourselves, and we say, God, if you don't do it, I don't know. I guess you're just not going to do it. What is our responsibility in following through? No matter how insurmountable your situation may seem, let me tell you, victory is at hand. And it doesn't come about just through positive thoughts or wishful thinking. It begins with the Lord of hosts. It begins with the Lord of hosts. David never mentioned Goliath's size or how dangerous he was. He only talked about how great his God is. And this morning, we speak faith. We don't speak fear. We speak faith in who our God is. So right now, I want us to have an opportunity to respond if our pastors and our elders could come and spread all the way down to the doors and then this way I'm going to give us an opportunity to respond church can we stand together I am doing well on time we have time to to come to the altars for a few moments here's what I said I want to ask you if you need a miracle, if you are fighting a Goliath today giants are going to fall, I believe it I'm not just saying it, I believe giants are going to fall in Jesus name I believe God is going to do mighty, miraculous things in this house today. But first, we need to trust the God of heaven's armies, the God of hosts, the one who goes before us. It is not by our own strength, our own might. It's through surrendering to him and saying, God, you are the one who takes out these things before me. Now, as as I trust you, use the things that you have put in my hands, the things you have entrusted me with to follow through for victory. Psalm 44, verses 1 and 2 and verses 9, 10 and 15 say this. Praise the Lord who is my rock. David wrote this, by the way. He trains my hands for war and gives my fingers skill for battle. He is my loving ally and my fortress, my tower of safety and my rescuer. He is my shield and I take refuge in him. He makes the nations submit to me. I will sing a new song to you, O God. I will sing your praises with a ten-stringed harp. For you grant victory to kings. You rescued your servant David. From the fatal sword, yes, joyful are those who live like this. Joyful indeed are those whose God is the Lord. This morning, if you need prayer for anything right now, this morning, I want to invite you to come forward for prayer. Find one of our pastors, our elders, and they want to pray with you. Before I dismiss this, I want to just encourage you to find a place of prayer this morning. And we're going to seek after the Lord. We're going to pursue Him with all our hearts. Can we come find a place and let's pray and let's seek God's face for miracles today together. Lord Jesus, we thank you today, Lord, for miracles that I anticipate are going to be reported. I pray, God, that this would be the beginning of miracles, Lord, where, where perhaps we're on stone number one, perhaps we're still drawing them from the stream, but as this church goes out to battle things that I don't know all the stories that are represented in this room, but you know each one, I pray for victories in Jesus' name. I pray, God, that we would be victorious people, not just huddling down, not just holding the fort, but moving forward and taking ground from the enemy. And this week, we would see you go before us and winning these battles, Lord, that we would give you the glory for all these things because you alone are worthy of all praise and honor. It's not our own strength, our own might, but by your spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so, Lord, we give you thanks and we give you praise. Together we all say... Amen. Amen. New Life Church, have a blessed day. We will see you in life groups this week, throughout the week. We can't wait to see you. God bless you.